Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by American Express. Hey, American Express card members, you don't want to miss this. Now through December 31st, there is a big reason for you to shop small at local stores in your neighborhood. Learn more and enroll your eligible card today at AmericanExpress.com slash shop small offer. That's AmericanExpress.com slash shop small offer. Terms apply. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, listening to Kid A and crying human tears over real robots, it's Andy Grievo! Woo! I can't believe you got your dander up like that considering it is subarctic in the studio. Yeah, but when you have the warmth mm-hmm. of, of two timelines... Just to, to mm. snug you up. Oh, I get it. Like one's one blanket and one's another blanket. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in here. I don't know if if Tate and Joe are trying to do like a Letterman situation where it keeps people on like on on the. On Is that edge. a notorious Letterman move? Yeah, uh, Letterman kept his studio very cold because that he felt it kept people alert and active. Because if it was warm, they would get a little slow and whatever. So the audience suffered for it. Or I don't understand why they was just like, why can't we all just be comfortable? Well, th- here's what I think. I think that maybe. Tate is actually has a sideline in like smuggled <laughs> organs, and he has to keep the temperature at a certain. Our organs? Well, I don't know if he's harvested us yet. Although I do have kind of a weird scar on my back that I didn't have before, and I woke up in a bathtub full of ice. But um, I'm just saying, like I like, I think people appreciate it when we set the mood. Yeah, you look like the Unabomber. We're going to talk about Doctor Strange, then Westworld. San Junipero, the Black Mirror yeah. episode. Did you give people a warning that we were jumping? I did. Thank you for listening while you were out. <laughs> I, I, I don't recognize podcasts that I don't I appear gave, on. I gave a very thorough uh, sh- you know, outline of what we were doing, which is switching episodes. And uh, then when we have time, at the very end, we're just going to talk a little bit about uh, Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown episode that we both we, adored. We might weep. Yeah. Uh, let's get started with Doctor Strange. Doc Strange. Doc. Uh Eddie, the latest origin story yes. from Marvel Studios. Love origin stories. That's my first problem. Yeah. So I get. I think that I, I watched this movie. You know, Me too. it is very much. Uh, you know, what if we took Batman Begins and Inception, but took all the dread out of it and put a lot more fun in it and shaved Tilda Swinton's head. Um, but I think that I hit some wall. I, and I don't know what movie ago it was, mm-hmm. but I felt it very acutely in the first hour and 15 minutes of this one. Yeah. I was like, I got it. I'm okay. I don't need to start over with any more characters. I, to be fair, I agree with you, but to be fair, they've gotten pretty good and ruthless at it. I mean, this dude was a neurosurgeon, and then he was a bum in Nepal in like eight minutes of screen time. Yeah. Like, they yada yada the S out of it. And in a way, it reminded me of, uh, it, it was, it, in a weird way, it was actually. Yada yada AF is my favorite Insecure episode, actually. <laughs> That's it. I thought that was season two. It's uh, very true to comic books in a way, in the way that they've changed around. Because if you look at, like, and I know you love to do it, but when you look at, like, <laughs> original Marvel comics, like, stories from the 60s, the stories yeah. that introduced Spider-Man. No, I, I usually go back to the text whenever one of these come out. Like, the Spider-Man origin story that Stan Lee and Steve Ditko laid out was one page. The Batman origin was initially one page, and okay. then they just started. And then it was a trend in the last 10, 15 years. Um, Brian Michael Bendis at Marvel was the guy that sort of did this where when he did Ultimate Spider-Man, which is he took something that was one page in the 60s and made it something like 12 issues. Uh of, of only origin story. Right. And so I feel like we are moving back in the direction of the 60s because ba- this was basically all three 
of Nolan's Batman movies in an hour and 40 minutes. With, with Inception as like, <laughs> the, just taking what they did in Inception and we're like, what yeah. if we did that the whole movie? What if we just kept spinning it? Yeah. Uh, I agree. So I, 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 I admired the ruthlessness with which they got through the origin story. And I admire the ruthlessness from which they like are like, you know what? Let's just take these cool things from other movies. Let's take the yeah. like open your mind part of the Matrix. Let's take the cities collapsing and moving things with your mind from the Inception. Mm-hmm. And let's take the quasi like yuppie becomes a martial arts student from Batman Begins. Throw it all together. Get out all the bad stuff. Well, and let's take the like C grade comedy alts from Iron Man Three and put them in. Yes, I I, I think this movie's it's interesting. I, I think that people are battered and beaten down by comic book movies and by the Marvel machine at this point. And I'm a fan of Marvel movies in general. I think this movie has been wildly overrated. Um, Or maybe that's not the right way to look at it. I think that people are shrugging and saying, like all of them, it's it's fine. There's some things that are that are clever. There's some chances that are taken. It's winning. It yeah. is a winning movie, and I don't even mean that in a Charlie Sheen sense. Like the performances are good. It looks okay, except for that one weird shot where he's like swag surfing over the multiverse <laughs> in the end, and it literally looks like Kevin Feige was just like, "Fine, just put that in the movie." I do think it's, there's actually some cool intentionally campy special effects stuff happening in there and then also some like intentionally like what if you what if my my lava lamp was like my world and the score was actually in some ways more inventive than than even the movie was because Michael Giacchino put in a couple like like uh, moog lines and he he tried to get a little bit 70s Mm -hmm. into it even though the movie kind of resisted that it's interesting so I we're, we're we're caging here. And I'm not caging. I thought it was fine. It's fine. I, and I, I think I, that when you we've kind of I, I think that my problem with it is, it, as you get in deeper and deeper into your life, do you want to keep starting over with essentially now we're going to do Paul Rudd, Benedict Cumberbatch, mm-hmm. uh, Black Panther, which I'm looking forward to. Like, but we're gonna have another set of origin stories and another set yeah. of meetup movies and another set of in person. Like, uh, honestly, well, they don't can do- you guys just like get one bad guy I, I, that like is interesting? I think Black Panther. That's another good like point. a set of eyes over a dark moon. Who's like, <laughs> I've been fooled by a riddle. <laughs> it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Come on, man. <laughs> that's a that's a great Dormammu <laughs> imitation right there. Uh, I don't think Black Panther is an origin story. I think we got the origin story mostly in Captain America 3. I think Captain Marvel might not be because I think I think Queen Bree is showing up in one of the Avengers movies first. Okay. I hope so. Um, you know, I, I think, don't think that the, I see I, I feel like no matter what they're still going to do a lot of origin sure. stuff in those movies World just building. to be like in case you didn't catch this 11th subplot of Avengers it, 3. I think my biggest problem with the movie was that it's with as many of these things are it's not a movie it's the latest widget mm-hmm. and I don't even mean to be like you know death of Hollywood about it I just mean um, look in the broad strokes of this it was it's so much easier to admire these movies at this point as feats of business and IP engineering than creative enterprises and I, I, I don't even mean that cynically because Whoever sat down, however many years ago, with Kevin Feige and the rest of the, the Marvel Brain Trust and was like, so we're going to lay out these Infinity Stones and we're going to connect the movies this way and it's going to build up to something. And they were like, what if the Time Stone was the Eye of Agamotto? And then someone was just like, <laughs> and someone literally fell out of their bodies into the astral plane when they heard that. That's clever. The problem with that, in my opinion, and I'm saying this as a deep strange head, I don't think that character is about time travel. 
they tried to make this movie fundamentally about this idea of time mm-hmm. and his big get is you know the the loop where he beats this floating space demon anytime you want to jump back in with that, <laughs> with that voice I'm fine with it um, you know, oh the... <laughs> I can't be trapped with yes. you Benedict Cumberbatch first of all and your weird mid-American accent <laughs> first of all I love that he went to the Hugh Laurie school of American growling yeah. I, think, I think that is a great choice if you're not totally there with the American accent you just start start growling like a feral bear yeah but um, that's just sort of not essentially what it is, but it is maybe more understandable than someone who can manipulate worlds and astral planes, which leads me to my other point, which is I was a little bit saltier on it after I saw it, and I had some. Uh, I was doing some chatting with our friend Sean Howe, mm-hmm. who wrote a terrific book about the history of Marvel Comics, um, Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, and he was much more forgiving about the movie because he was basically saying put it on paper like think about what Doctor Strange is not just the origin story but like this I, what you're asking audiences to accept like you can accept maybe a World War II soldier frozen in ice with a shield you can maybe yeah, accept sure, a totally. Norse god yeah but science is there for that but this this <laughs> idea of everything also having a magic layer underneath it and you making these gestures in the air and blah 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 like he was saying a lot he was impressed that they basically streamlined it to something that people will pay their 14 bucks to go see yeah, I mean we'll a, a lot of these movies are getting they have huge budgets and a lot of talent behind them and you kind of make this if you're not a real comics fan like you make this agreement with yourself where you're like well this is what Hollywood is giving me as a blockbuster so I'm going to take what I can get out of it um, to that end it was interesting you know this movie we had a little bit of controversy in the lead up to its release about the whitewashing of the ancient one mm. character um, now and she's Celtic. Unfortunately, Tilda Swinton is by like seven and a half laps the best thing about this movie. I know. <laughs> it's like, but it was also, this is this is sort of my favorite thing about any movie, whether it's Doctor Strange or Con Air, is when mm-hmm. someone like Tilda Swinton is like, yeah, sure, I'll come take batting practice with you guys. And it's just like, but I brought like a redwood with me it, you know? it's like the scene in uh, everybody wants some when like the dude who's now playing superman just takes a few takes a few cuts just marches off the field i i agree with that i think that um loki though um chiwetel Ejiofor's performance as mordo loki not loki right? not loki because spoiler alert that's coming <laughs> um he may have given my favorite Shakespearean British actor slumming in a yeah. science fiction movie performance yeah. since Christopher Plummer in Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country where he's like I don't know if you guys remember that one Plummer just basically he basically acts the way Roy Choi does at the Sizzler Bar <laughs> in one of my favorite episodes of Parts Unknown with Andrew Bourdain where he's just like bring it yeah. and uh, that's you know when he talks about how uh, Shakespeare's better than the original Klingon Dude, Juatel <laughs> is just lit. Yeah. He's like, we're doing this, we're doing this. On the flip side, uh, Andy Bezidrides or whatever, what was Rachel McAdams' sister detective season two character? Bezidrides, yeah. We- she gets to be, she gets to wear nothing but hospital hospital scrubs, stand on one set, and just, and just hits the fucking William Hill afterwards and puts it all, <laughs> all in Manchester City to win. The, the biggest <laughs> question that I have coming out of this movie isn't, what are they going to do with a sequel? Yeah. How does this connect to Thor? What does Benjamin Bratt's contract look like? What How many does days Benjamin of work? Bratt's contract look like? Pangborn? Is Pangborn. that Pangborn! Wait a second. So there's a moment in this movie. <laughs> I can't I'm going to spoil it, too. I completely I have so much McAdams to talk about Wait, still. Wait, just table it for All a second. Right. got to ride the Bratt. There's a mo- There's a point where like some guy tells yeah. Cumberbatch, yeah. oh yeah, by the way, this one dude s- healed his severed spine. And not just any dude. Some, and I like, saw him on the New York streets. Some machinist. And some he was like, like, 
He goes and finds Benjamin Bratt playing pickup under the Bikiwi because there's wild games under the Bikiwi. I don't think that's where he was. I think he was at the 338th Street Y from the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> I think he was basically like doing falconry He was wearing there. like a Sergio Tuccini jumpsuit <laughs> also, while he's playing basketball. Also, Benny Bratt. Best moment. So Benny Bratt's like Jonathan 55, Pangborn. right? Classic pickup basketball <laughs> moment is when he walks off the court and somebody goes, Hey, Pangborn! <laughs> Are you going to keep playing or no? And he's like, no. And then he's just like, one scene. Yeah. Here's how you cure the nerve damage in your hands. Now, Pass it on. Chris, you stayed post-credits, right? Yes. Because Pangborn back. Wait, he's in another. Was there another credits yeah. jump? Oh, yes. I didn't. You we missed left. the tag, the stinger. We left after the. Uh, with Pangborn? Wait, are you being sarcastic? I'm not. I am. There is. If you stay past the credits, spoiler everybody, we find out what Mordo's up to. And Mordo now thinks there's too much magic. So he reaches inside of Pangborn, and he pulls that magic out of Pangborn. Pangborn back in the wheelchair now? There's a scene of Benjamin Bratt collapse with his hands, like, all palsy, and he's like, why are you doing this? Are you being serious? Yes. Does it happen when he's coming off, like, a high screen? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I'm open, top of the key, this is my hot zone. He he looks like when when a... uh, Check out my shot chart. When an NBA mascot goes off the trampoline and just bricks it and then hits the court. I can't believe I didn't stay. What a disappointment for me. You better go back. Let's do quick McAdams and we'll Uh, get out of here. My question about McAdams was, I mean this genuinely, what side hustle does she have in London? Because she did not take this movie for career opportunity. Like, does she is she a Swansea fan? Like, was she ready for? Well, so was she, she a secret sleeper agent against Brexit? Why did she want to spend time in London? Is that where they shot this? They shot the whole thing in London. Okay, I have no idea. I'd be fascinated. Also, to find why, out why didn't they just shoot her scenes in Pittsburgh? Because well, doesn't she it, just like go into his cool apartment? And, and here, here's the other thing that I'm starting to notice, and people have complained about the sort of similar color palette of the movies of all the Marvel movies and the tonal palette I've of the same about jokes. That. Yeah. I don't listen to this podcast, so that's news to me. Um, <laughs> Only my pods with Jason. And I think that uh, I think that's valid. I also think you could look at it, you know, at the flip side again. With this, you put on your, you know, president business hat, and you're like, that's smart. That's smart business. It's you know, it's a, it's a unified product. But the main thing I got out of this is they've. I think maybe they've gotten too good at doing this because this looked in many ways. The special effects were obviously very expensive, but the feeling of all of it altogether looked cheaper than some TV shows because what they do is. You know, if you really think about how much screen time your boy Mads Mikkelsen has with mm-hmm. his eye makeup, he's maybe on set for a week. McAdams bangs out all those scenes in the hospital in a week. You're, this is a very... Pangborn. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying these things are so economical now that I'm, you're starting to feel the restrictions on the actors and on the scene work and whatever. It just feels very... There was They went to Hong Kong, right? For the the finale, you stuck yeah. around for that, right? I did. I saw that. Part. Also, shouts to the shouts to the dude just just flipping a walk. That looked incredibly authentically Hong Kong, by the way. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They built a corner of a street yeah. for one scene, and then it says they're in Hong Kong, and so yeah, then but the not movie... everything can be Serpico. I mean, they've been shooting on back lots since they started making. No, movies. I know. I just feel like we're starting to get more and more. The limitations. We we I've been saying we've this. been like, making excuses yeah. for a lot of these Marvel movies for a while, um, and I think this was the one where it started to flip for me, and and all across the board because yeah, it's fine. It was fine, but reading the reviews, just the reviews to me, the really positive reviews, just sort of reeked of exhaustion. Like it was just like waving the white flag. Like of course it's fine. Yeah, they're never going to be worse than that. But you know, I I. I'm still I'm still rolling on that train where I think maybe Guardians of the Galaxy was the best one because it felt the least connected to the rest of them. I was actually just having this conversation with Fantasy where I was like, what do you think the best one of these was? Yeah. And we were just really... It, it's definitely not like one where you're like, oh, it's so hard to make a top three. 
You know what I mean? I think that like yeah. in some ways, Iron Man is still the best one I've seen, and Iron Man three is like weirdly my favorite. Well, the whole the Ben Kingsley's performance in Iron Man three is my favorite. Well, it's just a weird movie. You talk about taking chances. You talk movie. about breaking them up a little bit and like breaking up what they're yeah. supposed to be. I, I think that those are probably Winter Soldier is good. I think Winter Soldier is, I, is, is very. That's entertaining. the thing is with Winter Soldier and Civil War, both of them were sort of clouded by like the marketing job that they did, where they were like it's like the parallax view. The, the thing about Winter Soldier that I think holds up it, it is let me full stop not the parallax yeah. view. But I remember watching it and then I've watched it again and it is very entertaining and the world building and sort of reveals in it feel a little more organic and surprising and and just engaging. It it moves, it moves. Whereas this movie felt like it was very much on a track because it had to get to the next one. I, small shout out, the current Doctor Strange comic book. I'm a, you know, I'm a Marvel Unlimited guy. God. I subscribe to this so You're you get great. This is great. The current This is comic your version book of the West Westworld Jason Reddit. written by Jason Aaron uh, who also does great work on Thor drawn by Chris Bacalo. Really entertaining and really a vision of what the possibilities of the character are uh, in a very very fun way. It is also bonkers in a way that the movie wasn't allowed to be. You are so full of optimism. Let's talk about Westworld. Hey, sure. <laughs> I know people missed me last week. <laughs> Hello. Um, here's my... Uh, I, I just want to do a, a macro thing right here. Mm. Okay. Do you think this is open source prestige television at this point? In that it's pulling things from so many different sources? I know that they made it, had to go back and fix it, have now, like, there's... I've, I've been reading some interviews where they're tr- sort of trying to piece their chronology, and, like, directors are like, yeah, I shot this episode, I thought it was going to be four, but it wound up being five. I, mm. Anthony, you know, there are scenes that they went and they redid the pilot almost entirely, et cetera. Like, whatever the real story is of the production. This show has basically taken all of the theorizing, all of the... Um, you know, choose your own adventure, all of the you solve it kind of fan em- employing like real deep fandom in people and also like awakening their inner sleuth. Mm-hmm. And it's just done away with all that ugly character yeah. and story. And like, I mean, there's story, but it's really plot. Yes. Because story tells you something about the world you're watching. There is there is no Westworld. Like Alison Herman kind of hinted at this in her piece, but if it's on space, it's just only thing it really says is like, oh well, we've got no point in society where we can go to space. It's not like, oh, it's in space. If it's happening in two timelines, it kind of like who cares? Who cares? That's it's the, just that's just a trick. That and is, I actually really find the show super entertaining. That was hashtag Greenwald right there. Why did you say that? before? No, but that's my take. You don't listen to my. But part you know, of the what if you I, only no, li- I do. But usually, all I hear you say is that what, you don't care about robots. What if we only listen to the show like in mono? Like we only listen to ourselves. I'm like, <laughs> you're like good point. Um, I, I, this is going to be really interesting to move into San Junipero, which we're not doing yet. But yeah. it's a very interesting comparison to Westworld. Um, I think that I have definitely been riding that robot thing too hard, and I apologize. What I, but I, what I, because that is a symptom. Got, and not, got a note from the robots union. That's a symptom. Not, <laughs> I, I, I'm bought and sold, man. That is a uh, symptom, not the disease. All I mean is, what makes stories about robots interesting is what is to use them as reflections. Hey, look, I'm and 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 you know, I, so to that end, this week's episode, uh, I thought the stuff with Maeve 
was engaging. I yes. thought it was entertaining. It was also light. Yeah. And I thought it was intriguing because Except we were just scene. able to spend time with someone and start to figure something out, start to piece something together, start to feel for her in the circumstance. And there was a little bit of fun to it as well, um, playing into the character that was built for her. Yeah, because whenever why that would be... motion picture soundtrack comes on, I always feel like fun <laughs> is the key thing. I <laughs> but I was thinking, and then not to go too deep Marvel Unlimited, the best comic book that I have read in many years, at least since Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, is writer Tom King and Jason, we're not talking to Jason Concepcion this week, but he's been all over this and wrote a great profile of Tom King for The Ringer, a comic book series called The Vision, based on the character that, you know, Bettany plays yeah. in the movies. This is he's not playing priests, he plays Vision. This is so disturbing and beautiful and brilliant, and it is essentially about the comic, can, the comic yeah. book, can synthetic people be human? And what it is that ultimately makes them human is fucking up. Like really fucking things up, mm-hmm. and that is what makes them human more than anything else—not the perfection or not the um, ability to integrate. And so that made me realize it's not the robot thing. It's to tie it all the way back to what you're saying. It's the lack of interest in what they're saying about anything else. Yeah. And and when I speak to people about when I speak to people about Westworld, because I like to go out and press the flesh. You know what I mean? I'm like I'm like Tony Hopkins. I go down into the world. Sure. I touch the, in the ro- scrum. I touch the, in the robot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. People who like the show, generally, in my opinion, are pretty – they just don't get worked up about what it's not, which I understand because right. they don't need to talk about it on and the podcast. And maybe that's why it has 11 plot lines. They like, they like watching it because they like solving puzzles. Yes. It's Sudoku. It's, you know, it, it's scratching an itch that has been lingering since maybe because Game of Thrones is away or since Lost has been off for a few years. That's exactly right. I don't like watching TV for that reason, and so I find it frustrating. Right. Um, this is the thing, is that like with Game of Thrones and with Lost, I think that there was so much there. First of all, and I hate to be a dickhead, and I know I sound like one, and I do this all the time, where I'm like, it was cool and I liked it, but now that everybody else <laughs> is doing it, it's it's annoying. But, you know, you, I remember the first time, who was the character on Lost? Was it Ruth? And there was like this huge uh, explanation about like the biblical and like, re- like relationship to her and the biblical character that she she was named after and it was just like this long like it was like an I awesome I think there was anyone named Ruth but I'm with you who was the girl on the island when they like oh man there was not a Ruth on in Lost T- tell me tell me more about Ruth it doesn't matter the point is that like I remember a huge long theory about Ruth and <laughs> let's just call her Ruth big picture did you watch Lost <laughs> so it's set in uh, Sleepy Hollow mm-hmm. <laughs> set in Vancouver <laughs> yeah uh, no, anyway, the point is, is that this has been a long running tr- thing where like there's an under like there's a television underworld to these shows where basically like there's the surface plot and there's the surface characters and the surface stuff that's happening. And then underneath you could be like, but what about this and this yes. Easter egg? And what about that? And what about this? And Westworld simply flipped, flipped it. Yes. They were like, now all that stuff, you guys listening to serial and trying to figure it out and you guys watching yeah. Making Murder and trying to figure it out, just do that with this show and don't even worry about whether or not like Teresa and Bernard are really going to make it click or like if Lee's an alcoholic or Boy, whatever. That was, that was the lowest point of the series a so Huge far. comeback for him. First of all, like <laughs> has anyone who works on, and I, I mean this sincerely, I respect everybody who works on this show's work. Yeah. Have you guys ever been to a fucking pool? <laughs> who wears a button open? button-up yeah. shirt with black slippers to a pool. I guess a British person would. Have you ever been to the Chateau Marmont during the, like on a Tuesday afternoon? Like literally that guy is a, re- there's 20 of them. Yeah, I guess so. Like there are 20 hosts built yeah. on him. Tessa Thompson, that's a big get. What would you, yeah, that was exciting, but what would you, 
Like if one of the writers you hired for The Ringer started behaving like that and literally came into your 2 p.m. Started. meeting and just started <laughs> urinating on your whiteboard yeah. and somehow didn't get fired, like it, it's classic writer stuff. But I, I wanted to say, back to your lost point, it's a point that I, I think is an important one to make and I wanted to come back to it because two things. It did not matter if you read the Wikipedia for the philosopher John Locke right. to enjoy the show. Because Terry O'Quinn's performance and the pathos they built into that character with the pretty astonishing reveal early on. Ruth was Desmond's girlfriend. What? Yeah. You mean you mean Penny? Nah. Ruth. Did you just Google Ruth while I'm talking? I got a point. This person. I, I literally have no idea who that person is. This is what show what show did you watch? <laughs> I don't know. What if you watch like the event? This or is the like nine? Broadchurch season two. I'm really sorry. Go ahead. We can even cut that out. <laughs> no, I mean, this is gold. This is process oriented. Um, you didn't need to know who John Locke was yes. to be invested in the character. You did not need to do it. If you wanted Still to, don't. you could read a lot of interesting <laughs> ideas into it. But here's the thing: I think people continue to do Lost wrong. This is something I wrote about for Grantland. The thing that people remember Lost for in a negative sense, I think, was actually its greatest strength. And and what I mean is, when people talk about Lost now, they're like, oh, they were just making it up as they went along. Oh, they had no plan. They had no roadmap. As if that's a criticism. Mm -hmm. When, in fact, I think that led to the wildly explosive creativity of that show because they were constantly walking out onto a ledge without a net. They didn't know what it was going to be, and they let the characters guide them, and they let their ideas in the moment guide them. And, yes... For the thousandth time in one of these microphones, I will say I, the ending of the show didn't work for me. But the way that the show morphed from being about one thing, where you know, if you look at their early notes, what the smoke monster was going to be, they had no idea, to suddenly having a season about time travel, like the show could become anything. Yes. And that in itself lends to a certain kind of freewheeling excitement. The Westworld is the opposite of that. And that is a non-pejorative statement, but it just is fact. They have planned everything down to the slightest, um, you know, the the fabric of the made-up eyeballs. Like, everything they have an answer for. And I think that leads to a feeling of claustrophobia within the story. Because, yes, they have an answer, but they don't have a reason. Well, if you need answers, all you have to do is look to Shannon Woodward's character. Because she'll tell you all of them. She'll just be like, I'm in this room looking at this shit. Alone? (laughs) In a dark doll factory? Yeah. Have you guys seen Insidious? <laughs> I would say there is some poor decision making across the board. But again, like this is what happens when they have done, they've designed, no Tony Hopkins, you've designed the forest, but then you're like, how are we going to get the trees in there again? Right. Well, they're not going to act like trees. They're just going to be sort of bent into shapes to plant there. Yeah. Um, any any like more micro takeaways from this episode? Uh, I liked, the other thing that I did like very much in the episode was the idea again so I'm complaining about all the ways they got there but the idea of little pockets of the park being held apart being populated in Mm -hmm. weird and surprising ways that Anthony Hopkins character that Ford has basically recreated his childhood in a corner of the park that no one's supposed to go to now the fact that he happened to be there right when his robot dad was about to kill um, Bernard is pretty preposterous yet again but that's an interesting idea yeah that's a cool idea. Um, there are these ideas that make sense in the world, but then you have um, Marsden with a Gatlin gun. I'm like, what, what are we even? What are we doing, <laughs> guys? I, I still just I want to do that. I want to do a show called Westworld Intervention, where it was just like we we just like crash like we're like it's basically like a Bud even Light. Even Harris was like, what the shit? I know. <laughs> I just it's like a Bud Light commercial where you and I show up with a cooler of cold ones and we're like the writers' room and we're like, guys, what's up? Like for real, what are we doing here? What are we doing it for? And what are we doing? That's all I want to know. 
Um, now, do, do you, I? But I, do I still want to watch next week? I do. Do you think that Arnold is Bernard is like Arnold's? Is Arnold? That His was, consciousness is in there. That's what this one felt like a little bit. Yeah. It felt like that's where we were headed this week. That 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 he was in some way that at this point with the buildup, unless Arnold is Tessa Thompson, which all in. <laughs> that's dope. Arnold has to be hiding under our noses the whole well, time. What would be amazing is if Tessa Thompson was just like, you guys, I came here, I'm, uh, I'm the executive chairman of the board of Delos, mm-hmm. and I'm really ready to lay down the law, Yeah. but the thing is, is I've found love in a hopeless place, yeah. and me and Lee, we're out, we're going to Love World. What if she was like- And then it was just like season two of Love Westworld, it was just like a Noah Baumbach movie about those two. Just like they're in a, they're in a boat made of swans forming yeah. a heart behind them. What if she's like, guys, I'm here to explain fucking everything. <laughs> Arnold, the future, why we are in space, why the one tech is so mean to the other tech for no reason. Yeah. But first, do you guys know what a John is? <laughs> <laughs> and it was called Philly World. Oh, man. Let's uh, take a quick break, and West, then we're going to talk about West Philly World. Black Mirror San John Apero. <laughs> hey, guys, just want to tell you a little bit about the Black Tux. Do you have a wedding or a special event coming up that you need a tux for, like right now? Don't panic. The Black Tux designs modern fit suit and tuxedo rentals that deliver straight to your door, and now the Black Tux will give you a free home try-on so you can see the fit and feel the quality of their suits before your event. And the best part, you can do it all online. Have you, uh, you just head to theblacktux.com to create your look or choose a complete outfit package. The prices start just like $95. Their suits are designed with fine Italian wool, the highest quality in the rental market, and their expert customer care service team is always available to answer any questions. Your outfit will arrive 14 days before your event, and that leaves plenty of time to try it on, and if the fit needs to be dialed in, the Black Tux will fix any problems before your event. When your event's over, you just drop it back, your rental back in the mail. The shipping is always free both ways from delivery to return. So do this. Go visit blacktux.com slash the watch and experience a new way to rent. Theblacktux.com slash the watch. Also want to tell you guys a little bit about the proper cloth. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. Collars can be too tight. Sleeves are too long. Something's always not right. Well, ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to proper cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt in seconds by answering 10 easy questions. No measuring required. Over 500 fabric styles to choose from. Everything from a classic business to a casual shirt. Proper cloth custom shirts start at just $85. Really high quality made from premium Italian and Japanese fabrics, and the Proper Cloth has literally hundreds of five-star reviews on Google and Yelp. Proper Cloth literally is the highest rated custom shirt maker on Google. Even GQ calls them their favorite online shirt maker. This is the future of shirts. The website is so easy to use. Your custom sizes and preferences are all saved in your profile, and you can order on your phone. Now, this is important and unique. Proper Cloth guarantees a perfect fit. Remakes are absolutely free and the team is there to help you it's super easy to do stop wearing shirts that don't fit start looking your best go to propercloth.com slash watch and enter promo code watch to save twenty dollars on your first shirt that's propercloth p-r-o-p-e-r-c-l-o-t-h dot com slash watch and gift code watch for twenty dollars off your first shirt all right we're back we are talking about the fourth episode of black mirror so we said we were going to talk about one episode per monday (laughs) sorry shut up and dance and then we decided just because of like obviously the streets have acknowledged san junipero being a very important important black mirror episode we didn't want to wait too long so we want to get this one going last week uh jason and i talked about playtest we talked about um what's that first one called nosedive Mm -hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago so 
I don't know. I haven't. Usually, you'll be like, "Dude," in a text. What did, what did you think about this? I haven't heard your feelings about it yet. I loved it. I loved San Junipero, like many people did. I think that look, Chris. Here's the thing. Here's how, here's the hallmark of great culture disruptors. You know, people really like just TED talking it outside the box. <laughs> Charlie Brooker made Black Mirror and knew, even though he had only made seven of them, essentially that it had already calcified into a thing. And one thing that's always separates British TV from American TV is generally with the shorter seasons, um, things don't become cliche. They don't calcify. They move on. Creators move on to mm-hmm. something else before they before they become old. Um, you know, the, the British office, the original British office was what, like uh, 12 episodes, 13 something episodes like that, across yeah. all of it. Um, so I really appreciate that. And this is, in the, he said in interviews, this is the first episode he wrote for season three. He was basically like, why do Black Mirror episodes have to be dark? Mm-hmm. Why I'm going to zig when everyone thinks I'm going to zag. That's just good storytelling. That's just a way to make more interesting art. And I really appreciated that. Um, I saw an interview with him where he, he went even further. He was like, this is bizarre to me. And I think the timeline doesn't really check out. But basically, he implied that when people found out, it implies that he hadn't written any when he got the deal with Netflix, which is a weird choice to make when you have to do 12 hours or something you haven't, you've haven't, only done six of. But and in this interview, he was like, when people started grumbling. That, to be fair, that is basically how you and I work. So. Yeah, but we are not. This is not a multi-million dollar enterprise. Yeah. Unlike Tate's organ harvesting concern that's happening downstairs. Most of that happened. Tate does a lot of prep, though. That all happens in the... Tate was here all weekend. And by the way, the fact that there are black shades over all the walls and windows now has nothing to do with what he was up to over the weekend. I'm just saying, he was... So Charlie Brooker was responding to the fact that people were grumbling that Netflix invested in it. And it's like, oh, it's going to be an American thing now. And apparently he was like, fuck you. In, you know, exterior shot California. <laughs> he was going to do that on purpose. Um, I just thought that it was a very beautiful and imaginative episode that yeah. dealt with emotions and ideas in a way that was, was deeply unexpected for the show and deeply rewarding because of it and stands as a very, very strong uh, counterpoint to Westworld. I think it, you're absolutely right. It was it was exactly what Black Mirror does so well. And it's, ex- it's the... The best part of it actually did make me feel like I was watching a Twilight Zone. It just had a good episode. But those Twilight Zones where you're like, and it's over. There's nothing lingering. It's mm-hmm. all within the box. And I can close the box or open the box again and look at it. But there was something about it that made me feel like it was just such a complete paragraph of a statement. It was so their balance of it was there was like what's going on here yeah this doesn't seem like it's really like happening in the real time are they in heaven are they in purgatory mm-hmm. wait they can jump back and forth across time oh that's why she can listen to the greatest hits of the 80s because it's harvesting her memories of it not an actual like film of this moment and you know i it's okay to give people a happy ending every once oh. in a while and also you can sort of pick at the scab a little bit and be like, yes. what happens if the plug gets knocked out? Right. That's the, or that, if one of them decides they don't like driving around in a Miata all the that, time. That's the, first of all, that's crazy talk. <laughs> I've always wanted to drive around in a Miata, regardless of who it's with. But I, I, I think that that is an interesting point, because if you just shift the, um, you shift the light filter a little bit on one of these episodes, you realize that they are not, and I think Charlie Brooker has come out very strongly saying that he doesn't want the series to be viewed this way. These are not necessarily scolding. They are not anti-technology. They're yes. not Luddite. He's just he's just asking the question, mate. He's yeah. just wondering. Yeah. And this one, while giving us a nominally happy ending, is not necessarily happy. They're it's still not dead. Nece- <laughs> they're fully dead. Yeah. Um, we don't know if this is a good thing. You right. know, um, the, the the strongest 
I mean, the hardest part of the episode, I think the performances are so good. Also, we need to say Mackenzie Davis would love to see her freed from the 80s, because she's, but she's really good in the 80s. Uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra is tremendous in the show. She's great. And her scene when she breaks down near the very end and she explains, you know, that she was never, no one asked her why she doesn't want to continue in this fantasy. She wants to be with her husband, what that meant. That, that chunk of words is a tough fucking chunk of words. Yeah. That is a whole emotional, expositional info dump. And she sells it. And it's crucial, not just to make us buy into the performance, but it's crucial because it broadens the context of what's at stake here. So that even though we get a nominally happy ending, we are aware that she has, has in some ways gone back on her promise. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe in some ways she's not as strong as her husband, you know, and, and that's, a, and we're left with that value judgment in, in, as an open question. Yeah. And I think it was, like you said, it's the, one of the first benevolent looks at technology. I think that there's a lot of, I, I definitely feel as we've sort of ending, as we're ending this election cycle, aside from feelings about democracy, I, I, I definitely have like a pit in my stomach about, um, the usefulness of social media, which is like this incredible connector and this incredible way to amplify voices that don't normally get heard and just kind of coming out on the other end of that and being like, sometimes I don't want to hear certain voices personally. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and also like, like mine, apparently. Well, no. And then also the idea that it it's somehow like, I mean, this that it's it's amplifying like the darkest parts of ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's amplifying the least humane parts of ourselves. And that kind of is going to segue nicely into the last segment that we're talking about today but i kind of it, it, it's not necessarily it's it, it, it's it's weird it, it, this show repeatedly asks the question is like is technology a benign actor in this and what's happening with it is it is it, mm -hmm. it does it have its own consciousness and in some ways that's what westworld's about too but are is it something that's inherently good or evil or is it just a tool that we use. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, every piece of art, particularly on television, is improved by widening the canvas to accept the possibility of more than one point of view, more than one tone, more than one color. You mm -hmm. know, we talk about the the extreme violence and sadism of Game of Thrones is only really tolerable because there are occasional moments of, of levity. You know, you need to have a little bit of both. And I'm not saying that show gets the balance right. I'm just saying that they make that effort sure. to, to do that. So to see a Black Mirror episode where the people were essentially good people, that a guy like Greg exists in that world, yeah, um, that helps me into the story. I really had some bad feelings about Greg for a second. You thought Greg was going to go well, real dark. Well, this is the thing. is that He also knew that when he made this episode. This show, like Westworld, asks us, you know, here's this tool, and and are you going to use it for good or are you going to use it for evil? And mm -hmm. so often in, in television and in movies, it's used for evil. It's, mm -hmm. it's very rare that we spend an hour talking about what if technology could make love last through time. Also, think about the really smart twist that he put on it. I mean, making it a same-sex couple was really powerful and, you know, because in the era when these people were young, they could not have been married. Mm -hmm. So the idea that that marriage comes in as this act of kindness is a really beautiful wrinkle on the story and that, you know, and it adds Mackenzie Davis's Yorkie's character's backstory even more poignant mm -hmm. and painful. Um, but also just think about uh, the way that the show it two things that the love that is allowed to go on forever, unlike Be Right Back, is a new love. Yeah. That it's possible to start over and feel something again is a pretty interesting and not not unradical idea. And similarly, who would have thought that it would be Black Mirror and not like This Is Us on NBC or whatever sure. that would humanize the elderly who are <laughs> generally – I'm not here to be the Mr. Elder Care on the show even as I trend there myself. But the idea of allowing older human beings – 
to have a full full access yeah. to uh, humor, vivaciousness, sexuality, all of that, and find this interesting technological way to to communicate it. That was pretty exciting too. It was really, but to 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 to, to end the conversation, the single most exciting thing about this is the sense that for once Netflix has used its multi-billion dollar Death Star budget <laughs> to, find, to license literally yeah. every good song yeah. from a Charlie decade. Brooker had a, uh, there was an interview with him and he was like, oh, you know, I made this, I had this 1984, 87, 87 Spotify playlist that I was just listening to. It bangs. And he was just like, and then there were some songs that we couldn't get. And I was like, like what? I know. Dog? <laughs> like, what? What like, songs? Rhythm Nation? Like, what couldn't you get? Like, you have <laughs> the Smiths on there that you use for 10 seconds. Yeah. It's wild. Every song what on was there the was What was the song so, from Kick that they had? Uh, New Sensation, or they, was it Need You Tonight? I, I'm blanking, but they had a Kick song, Do right? Do you like that album? Oh, my God, I love that album. Yo, Tiny Daggers? <laughs> what do you know about Mystify? I actually, Never Tear Us Apart is still the, the eighth grade dance jam. In Excess is deep. We need to do an In Excess pod. That is a deeply misunderstood group um how about like the the the, the uh, club nouveau version of lean on me yeah essential track to 10 year old your boy here um and then even then when they went into 2002 they were playing kylie yeah can't get you out of my head it was it, that was weird I, it was weird to be like i live i li- literally remember when this song was big yeah. so like we're having an o2 ness like it was a little odd yeah but i i also wonder um this episode also made me wonder just the, the, the level of production ambition on this show. How much time did they put between the filming? How did they do it? Because this one especially, um, I mean, Nosedive was really ambitious too, but it, you know, it's a lot of location shoots plus the sci-fi future shots plus this, the music sings, just the, the, the dance numbers, like all of it. Yeah. Um, my only sense is that there is a company, there's some smart entrepreneur, probably in California, who just realized that there's a huge market demand for orgies. <laughs> and he just keeps one going for film crews, you know? Like, there's always going to be the guy yeah, who's yeah, like, yeah. oh, let me jumble your bits, you know? There's always <laughs> someone holding a snake. There's always some gold paint. Um, you know, and that's just where we are as a, as a nation these days, as a rhythm nation. Um, speaking of where we are as a nation, let's wrap up by quickly talking about this one kind of came out of nowhere. So... We don't really even get a chance to talk about this show anymore, but you should know that Anthony Bourdain has been probably like making the best television show week yeah. to week for 10 years now. I mean, it's the television show itself has changed, but he's been making TV shows since 2000. And they are like they, they, they frequently will be a point of conversation for me and Andy. And they are also just, I think, probably one of the most rewarding, entertaining, educational and life-affirming even when they're about really complicated difficult issues mm-hmm. or, or war zones like life-affirming acts of pop culture that you can see on like your cable uh, network um it's on cnn on sundays Parts um, unknown. it's always like kind of like a little this this season especially with all, all the trump breaks there's been it's, it's kind of jumbled around when it comes on if you can before tomorrow doesn't even matter though i just hope that at some point you take a, an hour and watch the houston episode that they just aired i think it was this sunday right um, one of the most like remarkable episodes that he's done. One of my favorites since the Baton Rouge um, episode uh, from the old show, the Baton Rouge uh, cookout that he did, um, or the Spain episodes, or Leon, or some of my favorites. Um, anything he's when he's in Vietnam, Jerusalem episode, Jerusalem. Um, this is just he. Bourdain goes to Houston. Um, he goes to Houston because he has some preconceived notions about the place and he wants to find out whether those are right or wrong. And he gets there and he finds a wildly diverse, welcoming, 
uh, first and second generation immigrant story, and then also hangs out with Slim Thug, and goes to a quinceanera, and it is like one of the most moving portraits of America that you're going to see this year. It is so, it's such a beautiful hour of TV. And the other thing to say about the show is that it's generally the most beautiful, most beautifully shot thing on television, no matter where he goes. His crew is unbelievable. Um, but this episode in particular, sometimes it just hits a moment. Like there are going to be, there are always going to be episodes that are food porny or episodes that are exciting so you're traveling to a place you've never been or he, he gets to do his shtick where he makes Eric repair yeah, something spicy. Obama and him have, uh, you know, like. This is, it's always going to be, it's a reliable watch no matter what. Yeah. But this one just hits in such an amazing moment because we're at this moment where obviously <laughs> the fate of the American experiment is on the brink. But, even beyond that, there is almost none of the reality of the country being represented in the overheated conversation that has dominated us for the last for the last year about immigration, about what makes us good or what makes us at least trying to be good. This episode is so vibrant and so alive and so affirming because the people that he visits, the people, the, the immigrants in this, particularly in this high school, the principal um, came to America after escaping Vietnam on a boat, then went, the army, went into the Marines, and is the principal of the school, the most diverse school in Houston, where the majority of his students um, don't speak English as a first language. Uh, the, the kind of, of rhetoric that we're being dominated by, this has nothing to do with these yeah. kids. This is literally what makes America great, is seeing people come here for all the various reasons, and then eat together. He, yeah, the he, thing that, that that unites everybody in this episode, and I would I would hope everybody in America, is that we really like to sit outside and eat food and drink beer. Yeah. <laughs> eat, eat a lot of spicy food and, yeah. and drink beer. And so just, there, there's a scene in a park with a bunch of uh, Indian and Pakistani uh, cricket players, and they're making this huge spread. Slim Thug takes them to Burns Barbecue. Um, they have like a crawfish uh, bake with um, the, the Vietnamese the, American Vietnamese principal, principal and his Salvadoran and wife Salvadoran and their wife extended family and their extended family where they eat tamales and uh, you know uh, recipes from central Vietnam and like that that's Houston like I want to go to Houston <laughs> yeah. I want to go to America again and so it, it is the best tonic to anyone who's been like checking yeah, no matter what your politics are but yeah. if you've been like checking kayak.com for flights to Canada or whatever or you feel like this is the end of it like there, this is really the beginning of it, and it is such a nice thing to be able to have in this week. Yeah. I, I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to you, my friend, for reminding me to watch it off the DVR. Uh, it was it was weird. It was like you know, it's been it no, it's been a tough couple of weeks. It's been a tough couple of months, year, uh, in terms of um, of of the coverage of the country and kind of you know the way you it, it can make you feel about your country and your country mates you know and i i don't i'm not normally a patriotic person in terms of like being very showy about it but this you know and i have family in england too and i talk to them a lot about what happened over what's happening over there with brexit and the, the rise of certain voices in that country that's just really disturbing to see something like this makes me really proud to be an american proud to yeah. proud I, of like what um, the country actually has to offer yeah and to remember this week of all weeks regardless of what happens tomorrow um demographics don't vote demographics is a concept like people yeah. actually yeah, yeah. vote like people who are American citizens actually vote, and to see people who value that so highly, who are more, who are newer to this than we are, is extremely affirming. And I hope people check it out, and I hope the uh, country survives to our reup on Thursday. So see you Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> make America great. <laughs> great it's job, already America. great, Baranski.
Hey guys, thanks again to our sponsor, Proper Cloth. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. Collars are too tight, sleeves are too long. Something is always not right. Well, ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt in seconds by answering just 10 easy questions. No measuring is required. Proper Cloth even guarantees a perfect fit. Remakes are absolutely free, and the team is there to make it super easy to do. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking your best. Go to propercloth.com and enter gift code WATCH to save $20 off your first shirt. That's P-R-O-P-E-R-C-L-O-T-H.com slash watch. The gift code is WATCH for $20 off your first shirt. Thanks again to American Express. Hey, American Express card members, you do not want to miss this. Now, through December 31st, there is a big reason for you to shop small at local stores in your neighborhood. Learn more and enroll your eligible card today at AmericanExpress.com slash shop small offer. That's AmericanExpress.com slash shop small offer. Terms apply.